Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Well, we are on this Lenten journey with Jesus. Once Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem, he was unwavering in his commitment And today we approach the end of Jesus's travel narrative and the non-Jerusalem phase of his public ministry. We'll experience today, I hope, three things, a final passion reminder, and then two different stories of transformation. Let's pray. Loving God, may we open ourselves to the seeds of wisdom that lie dormant in the reading of your word. May our hearts, our minds, our whole lives be fertile soil in which it may grow strong and true. Amen. From Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through chapter 19, verse 10. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. After they have flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. But they understood nothing about these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. As he approached Jericho, a man born blind was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he kept shouting even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. Jesus then entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he's gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. 
And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man keep, came to seek out and to save the lost. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, one of my favorite stories in scripture is the one we finished on with Zacchaeus for many more reasons than I have time to talk about today. But Jesus is close to his final destination. The city of Jerusalem, he's been on this collision course over the last, this is the fourth week of Lent, right? And the, he's been on this collision course with the powers of spiritual and political oppression that resided in that great city. For the third and final time, Jesus reminds his disciples about his upcoming suffering and death. And for the third time, the disciples do not understand. They don't understand. In this final passion prediction, we see one thing that's unique from the first two. Jesus implicates the actions of the Roman authorities in his upcoming death, where in the previous two, he'd only spoken of the role of the Jewish authorities. Both, Jesus now says, will play a role in his death. And so the story of the blind man comes next. It's very much connected to a story that we looked at just a few weeks ago, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You may have noticed that the blind man was seated on the side of the same road to Jericho where the priest and the Levite failed to be a good neighbor, while the dreaded Samaritan was the one who was called good. In this story, on that same road, Jesus is the good neighbor. He doesn't walk to the other side of the street to avoid this blind man. It actually reminds me of something that Pastor Jennifer was talking about, I think last Sunday, where the people of Jericho cannot even see this suffering man who is right in front of their faces. They're the ones that are truly blind while the blind man is shown to be someone who sees. Yet Jesus sees this man, he hears him, and he draws near to this man who was suffering. When the blind man hears that Jesus is passing by, he shouts out, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd tries to hush him, to keep him quiet, to keep him from Jesus. But this man could not be silenced. He shouted all the louder. Now, the political nuance here is in the title that the blind man chose for Jesus. There was a widespread expectation that the Messiah would be from the lineage of David, Israel's greatest king, Israel's mightiest warrior. So to call someone the son of David was to raise messianic hopes and expectations about the liberation of Israel from Roman rule. Of course, Rome would never, ever tolerate any son of David. Jesus stops. He listens to this man who was crying out for liberation, and he frees him of his blindness. 
Now, the miracle of sight to the blind may not have been the political event that many Jews expected from the Messiah, but to everyone who witnessed this miracle, it was evidence that the blind man saw something. He was on to something. Maybe this Jesus is the son of David. Maybe this miracle worker is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus's stock is on the rise. There's an electricity in the air in Jericho. The parade of people praising God for the miracle of sight. But maybe, maybe what they're really praising God for is that after a multi-century wait, God has finally sent their liberator, Messiah. This procession, this parade of praise going through the city, enters into the city of Jericho, into the streets where Jesus meets Zacchaeus. Nobody in any country, in any era, likes the tax man. Tax collectors were particularly despised by the Jews as Roman collaborators, as exploiters of the poor and the powerless, as contaminated by ritual uncleanness. Zacchaeus was said to be the chief tax collector, which interestingly enough, there's no such thing. <laughs> it was a term that Luke coined seemingly for this occasion, for this man. Chief seems to be an indication that Zacchaeus was a powerful ruler. And when combined with tax collector, it seems that what Luke wants us to know is that Zacchaeus is a sinner of the worst kind. As Jericho's chief sinner, Zacchaeus would have been banished from the community of his own people. He would have been a man utterly alone in life. And this lonely man hears that Jesus, who was throughout, known throughout Israel as a friend of tax collectors and sinners, this friend of tax collectors is coming to Jericho. He must have wondered, is, it, is this even possible that this friend of tax collectors might actually want to be my friend too. His curiosity drives him to go and see for himself. Kids love the story about the little guy who had to climb the sycamore tree to see Jesus. But us adults are often terrified of the story because it demands so much from us. I believe that Zacchaeus climbed that sycamore tree that day, not just because he was short in stature. The Greek offers us a clue to this. It means short. The same word for short also means diminished. All of his wealth, all of his power, all of his privilege could not grant him safe passage through that crowd that day. It couldn't grant him access to the one thing that he wanted to see. Maybe Zacchaeus was short, maybe he was vertically challenged, but perhaps he was so despised by his own community that they would never ever have let him anywhere near this friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
Maybe their hatred would have refused to have let him get a glimpse of Jesus, push through that crowd. There was no way that that Zacchaeus was going to have access to Jesus. And so he has to get creative. Now, the unsung line of this story that I never hear anybody talk about is a simple one. It says, because he chose that sycamore tree because Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, maybe Jesus is walking down Main Street, Jericho, because it was the only road through town. But what I think Luke wants us to see is that Jesus had to pass that way because he knew the tree where he would find Zacchaeus. He, we want to believe that Zacchaeus was seeking out Jesus, but really it seems to be quite the opposite. Jesus may in fact have gone to the city of Jericho specifically to seek out and to save this despised, diminished, and lost human. Jesus finds him in the tree and he tells him, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Now, I don't know how this works in your house, but normally when I invite myself over for other people, to other people's houses for dinner, Katie tells me that that's kind of rude, but he's Jesus and I'm not. Jesus invites himself over for dinner to the home of the chief sinner of Jericho. And this man is beside himself with joy. The crowd grumbled. Here he goes again, hanging out with all the wrong people. Now in Zacchaeus's home, we witness one of the most beautiful acts of repentance in all of scripture. In the presence of Jesus, Zacchaeus sees himself for who he really is. Jesus seems to have that effect on many of us. Finally, Zacchaeus realizes that he's actually found something more valuable than money. He offers to give away half of his possessions to the poor and to repay anyone he's defrauded four times over, which, by the way, far exceeded what the law required of him. That's a pretty good ROI for those defrauded people. This gesture far out, out, uh, was far greater than what was required of him, and yet what we see is here we get to the heart of the matter, the most important thing, that the repentance led Zacchaeus to right all the wrongs that he had committed. This is what the effect that Jesus had on this man. And what is Jesus's response? He says, today salvation has come to this house. His conversion, this healing, this transformation that we witness, it's not just a private affair between Zacchaeus and God. His conversion wasn't just about praying the right words. And it wasn't just about a ticket to a future heavenly home. Quite the opposite. His conversion was a public affair. His whole household was probably there and involved. 
The poor are involved. The people that he cheated and defrauded were involved. His salvation has far-reaching and earthly implications. He's been healed of his sickness. He's been healed of his sickness as an exploiter and an oppressor of the poor. He's now received the abundant life that the gospel of John tells us that Jesus came to bring. And look at Zacchaeus's response, overflowing joy and generosity. I want to finish with just a few quick reflections of my own on this story. And the first is that Jesus is often very hard on the wealthy, powerful, and privileged. Zacchaeus shows us that wealthy people can inherit the kingdom of God too. He shows us a pathway of repentance which leads to joy and generosity, justice for the exploited, and look at the real freedom for this former oppressor. And I also personally believe there's a little hint in like the last sentence. I think that this community that once despised and excluded Zacchaeus welcomed him back home because of the change that they saw in his life. And this connects with one final thought that generosity is not a number. You might remember that Jesus commanded the rich young ruler to give 100% of his possessions to the poor. And the man went away sad. We see Zacchaeus offer Jesus 50% of his wealth and Jesus accepts it. But the biblical standard we all know for giving is the tithe, 10%. So which is it? What do we need to give away to God for God's work in the world? Is it 100%? Is it 50%? Is it 10%? Now look, we have some uh, good finance, good financial minds on this call. And I know that Lightshine's finance team would probably want me to at least ask for the 10%, right? <laughs> but here's the truth. Generosity is not a number. It's also not a matter of obeying some arbitrary commandment. But another thing that I'm absolutely certain of, generosity is also not about token almsgiving either because generosity is a matter of the heart and Jesus knows our hearts. Zacchaeus was finally free. And so he gave freely and joyfully. His joy practically leaps off the page in the presence of Jesus. He wanted to make things right. And knowing Zacchaeus's heart, Jesus accepted this act of repentance. The story encourages us to take a look at our own wealth and power and privilege. Because as the great Methodist theologian Justo Gonzalez says about this passage, that it's a matter of love and justice intertwined. Love and justice intertwined. These two stories of transformation have actually provoked me to ponder a few final questions. Has following Jesus produced the kind of joy in my own life that we see from the blind man who was healed in Zacchaeus in the presence of Christ?
and has the result of my own healing produced a generosity that rights wrongs and works for justice and the healing of others. Jesus came to inaugurate a whole new way of being, a whole new way of living in the world. And one of the coolest things is that everyone who saw the transformed blind man, everyone who saw the new justice-bent Zacchaeus could see these things were true. I sincerely hope and pray that everyone around you and me will see this in us as well, because we too have been healed by the very same Jesus.